I'm Matt Swain, and you're listening to the Reimagining Communications podcast, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges facing companies on the road to optimizing their communications for the future. Today, I'm joined by Brian Nimmo, SVP of Sales and Marketing at ID Data Web, an integrated identity security company. Brian, thanks for joining today. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So, Brian, talk to me about ID Data Web. What does your company do? So ID Data Web, which has been around since 2011, based out of the Washington, D.C. area, is a cloud-based solution, and we provide human identity verification. What does that mean? Essentially, we provide the ability for us to identify individuals coming in via a portal, via a human resource uh, access, or via their business partnership portal. Are they who they say they really are? And we offer a number of products to be able to make that happen. And they call them AXM Verify, AXM Manage, and one does one-time verification. The other one is ongoing verification. And that's really what we're all about. We also have a solution that allows to sweep over all of the emails that you may have acquired over a period of time, be it through acquisition or just growth for the organization, to make sure that those people who are within the organization are really who they say they are. And we also validate not only the email, but their address and other pertinent information. And again, we do all this without retaining any type of PII information. Uh, All that PII resides at the customer side. The impacts of COVID-19 make your company even more relevant today. I mean, think about the impact on how our society functions, how we socialize, we shop and interact with restaurants, we, we travel and exercise how educators now have to interact with their students, how healthcare providers do checkups with their patients, how businesses communicate with and engage with their customers, including things like how investors communicate with their advisors. The list could go on, but our world has changed due to this pandemic. I'd love to hear your thoughts on how the role of identity is changing across these industry examples. That's a great question. And it's one that we're getting across all of our customers, especially in the past couple of weeks. You know, we have a great relationship with our customers and the relationships uh, with the executives within those organizations. And what has been fascinating for us, as much so for them, is how they're stepping back and realizing what existed in their business processes for over 175 years in one particular company based in the East very well known. And as they say to me, Brian, forevermore, our business model has changed. That's a shocking statement. And it really gets you to sit back in your chair and go, huh, (laughs) okay. And that is specifically around, let's say, broker-dealers, right? If you're buying a life insurance policy, you typically have a broker relationship, right? You're not going to necessarily just fill out an application and send it in, There are often times where you want a consultation or the broker has a requirement because of laws to actually physically meet you and to see you. Well, that's now gone away, right? So you now have to identify through some mobile device or through a method that they're coming into the organization, perhaps through the the organization's portal, that in fact, they are the person who you think you're talking to. And they're not coming in from an OFAC country, meaning a company or organization that's coming in from the dark web, but in trying to take on the persona of someone else, that you're really talking to that person. So those models have completely changed. And now companies are trying to adopt to that today. There's other organizations who are highly conservative, have never had a remote workforce before. And in fact, never envisioned it. The only time they could do a remote workforce is if they had to do overtime or things that required them to work from home. 
Today, it's been mandated. So those organizations are now looking back at their business processes and trying to understand how are they going to adapt to that. Again, you need to verify who the people are. You need to understand and establish that trust, even if it's an employee. In some cases, in the healthcare side, when you launch an identity verification method, you know employees may say to you, why are you trying to identify me? You know me. I've been with the organization for 10 years. And it's a process that you have to go through to say, absolutely, but we want to make sure we're protecting you as much as we're protecting us. So let's get a registration going. Let's verify you once. Once you're in the system, you're all good to go. So I have to imagine that the inquiries that you're receiving today have have likely spiked over the last few weeks, but also maybe have changed in their nature a little bit in their immediacy. That's exactly right. In fact, it's been not getting out of your office uh, all day. And, you know, we've, I've worked uh, remotely because I travel so much, and that's impacted, obviously, my travel plans. But we've done WebExes all along, and that's how we've grown the business. We typically have been doing five or six a week. Now we're back-to-back doing four to five a day addressing our customer requirements. So what we're finding is something to be proud of of our organizations that we deal with. They're not panicking. What they're doing is they're taking reasonable steps to understand how the business will change and what methods can they put in place using existing platforms like the AXM platform for identity verification that they already have on board to extend it to those new business methods. So yes, we've been on phone calls, everything from our hospital organizations to our pharmaceutical companies uh, worldwide who are uh, the very same ones you hear in the press, all the way through our manufacturers who have shifted their ability to uh, deliver goods or to be able to communicate with certain organizations to shift that. And we're, adopt- we're helping them adopt to that. We're helping them extend that identity to them seamlessly. And that's really important. And I think that's one reason why we've seen, even in the financial institutions that we deal with, the FIs, they're, you know, fraud's not going away. Uh, Just because we're all faced with this epidemic, what is very clear, though, is this is exactly the time when the door is cracked, people think that the eye is off the ball, and that this is the time when you have organizations and or the hackers, the, the fraudsters coming into the organization, thinking that people may not be there to watch what they need to watch. And so they're going to try every which method to get in. Let me give you a case in point, if you don't mind. So one potential fraudster may say, huh, so this is my opportunity to get into the healthcare provider, very well known worldwide. So I'm going to go ahead and log in and taking information I get from the web that has been there because of a breach, a former breach, I'm going to gather that PII, that personal identifiable information of an individual, of of me, Brian Nimmo, and of Matt Swain or whomever. And I'm going to put on a persona that I am that person. And when I come into the system, it's going to ask me a few questions. And I have that information. I may have a leftover social security number. I may have a telephone number. I may have your address. So I'm going to try to get into the system. And obviously, that's exactly what we focus on. And we're able to prevent that because we triangulate the various methods using biometrics, using government-issued IDs, using a host of other methods to include this knowledge-based assertions that you typically see, also called dynamic KBA, that 
all come together versus just one, because there's not one solution, one verification process that's going to prevent those people from coming in. So you really do need to tie them together. And that's what we do. We tie these all together and launch it with the customer. So they stopped. They, they're stopped there. But they were able to get somewhat in, right? In other words, they were able to at least try to pin into the system, but we prevented them. So what do they do? And they're very clever about this. They'll take that same information and they'll go into the call center of that same company. So you've left the portal. Now they call mm -hmm. the call center and a customer service representative who's on the other end will answer the phone and say, hi, this is Joan. How may I help you? Well, hi, I'm so-and-so. And gee, listen, I, I lost my password. I'd like to do a password reset. And she'll say, oh, well, could you give me some information about yourself? Well, sure. My, my name is this. I live on this address. And they may say, well, can you tell me a little bit more? Can you tell me what your, maybe what your account number looked like? And again, a lot of information is available on the web and a lot of information is available off the web and the dark web. So they'll try to do that. And what will happen is they'll try to penetrate the organization by coming in through the call center. We stopped that as well. So a lot of these companies today where they were looking at solutions like that and they were making decisions, should we do this or should we not go forward or should we move this off to another quarter? They're now moving those decisions forward and realizing we can't push that off. We have to bring it forward. Do you think that when we come out on the other side of this pandemic, that the business norms of a few months ago will be fundamentally altered going forward? Absolutely. And this is exactly what our customers tell us. You know, as to my previous statement, when we talk about what companies have gone through and changing the whole business approach, their whole methodology of how they look at doing business with the consumer, because at the end of the day, it's all about customer relationships, right? We can lock down our organizations as tight as we want and say nobody can come in. Let's yeah. give you a case in point. Early enrollment, right? It, it, it starts somewhere between September and goes through February. This is the time that organizations who are in the healthcare provider area gain their revenue. That's the Super Bowl of the healthcare underwriter industry, right? Well, if you lock down your organization to the degree that you can't even get the people who want to subscribe to your service in because you're, you're mm -hmm. just shutting off anybody, that's not a good business method, right? That's, that doesn't, that's not going to help the organization. So you have to have a balance. You have to harmonize and making those decisions between how much security do I want and how much prevention do I want and how do I then do that so that there's still a good customer experience at the end of the day. And at the end of the, and and that's really what it's all about, right? You you want to maintain those relationships. So your to your question, will things change? Absolutely. Will we have to innovate on ways to make the customer experience even better than it's been today? Absolutely. Because the last thing you want to have is a customer who's trying to access you, but they can't get in the front door because you've shut it down. So you've got to harmonize that. And those are some of the new business methods that we're going to see happen. And again, innovations happening everywhere as a result of this situation. And I think you're going to see the same thing in the business practices as well. I couldn't agree more. I, I would also say that the longer this goes on, the more that these new approaches will become ingrained as the new norm. So it, it'll be really interesting to see how, how businesses continue to evolve. But, but you know, to the earlier point around each business serves its customers in different ways. Some are very much focused on that, that human interaction, like a, a healthcare 
uh, provider interaction or a advisor and investor experience. And it'll be really interesting to see how those those evolve to maybe you know, just become more virtual and 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 it is probably something that we knew would happen eventually. This pandemic has facilitated a much faster transition in those types of experiences. Yeah, let me speak to that. You're spot on. Let me give you telemedicine. So prior to COVID-19, the talk, and I'm, and I'm rolling the tape all the way back, let's say, to a year ago. If you approached organizations or if organizations were approaching the market, be it getting accredited by the proper government bodies within the state and local governments or within within even dealing with doctors being accredited and certified to be able to work cross state lines, that was a painful process. And in fact, that's part of the reason why you didn't see telemedicine, telemedicine being that you can dial in and and be able to yeah. receive a physician in your house, right? Well, that didn't really come about. And now it, with as in the advent of what we're dealing with, you now have it. Now that it's here in full force, telemedicine, you the identity component of that becomes critical, not just because you need to know that you're dealing with the patient and the patient's dealing with the doctor. That's, that's fundamental. And that someone would say, yeah, well, that would be a good first start. But the second part of it is, is that doctor accredited in the state that they're practicing in and or do they have the certifications necessary? And we check that as well. So we do physician check, we do verification. And again, all the things that we do is within 300 milliseconds. So that's one thing that shocked one of our customers the other day. And they said, listen, we're now going to shift our record management of how we ingest applications into a place where we can validate them very quickly up front. So ID Data Web, right? do you have the ability to ingest these records if they're digitized and take them in as what they refer to as a CSR file or a CSV file? And we say, sure. And they said, well, do you think you could get it back to us within a week? And our response was, well, we can do better than that. It happens within 300 milliseconds and we can get it back to you today. And it was absolute silence at the other end of the phone. Right. That's, that's another thing, Matt, to your question earlier. Would th- are things going to change as a result of this? So where business processes were the norm, where large organizations were established on a track that this is how we do things. And, you know, we're just not going to change things because it always works this way. Well, in the advent of this scenario, business processes that existed before these traditional lines of, of one step after another are all been shaken up. And that is an example of what happened just yesterday with one of the largest underwriters who looked at that and said, wait a minute, you're telling us that you can get back things and it's all this verifications of millions of records and with no limitation can be done within milliseconds. And we said, yep, and we do it all the time for some of the largest organizations in the world today. And that's exactly, Matt, what to, was to your point earlier on. We're going to see transformation take place, whether we wanted it or not, and whether those department heads want it or not, it's going to have to happen. It is wild to think about all these different scenarios, and and you only touched on a few of those industries, but but everyone is going to deal with what does this now mean for our business and and how we communicate and and as you put it, how we authenticate to ensure you know we're dealing with who we think we're dealing with. That's right. That's exactly right. And it really is important for not only for the business managers who own those web portals, for the human resource director who owns the records of the employees in the company. 
and for those business managers who are dealing with partners, business to business, but it's also important for the board of directors of the companies that they oversee because there's liability that goes all the way up the chain. And if you knew that you could prevent something, but you chose not to prevent something because you prioritized it differently, what do you think the outcome of that's going to be? That's a different discussion that you really don't want to have with your insight council. So those are some of the things we're seeing. And again, this isn't just about corporations. This is about individuals being protected as well. Their personas haven't been captured. And now some things are happening that could impact them personally, let alone professionally. And that's what we're all about. I'd be curious to hear what your view is on how the role of digital identity security continues to evolve in the coming years. I know we've touched on a, on a few angles of that, but but maybe also weave in GDPR and the California Consumer Privacy Act and how the continued momentum in that direction of, of having the right to be forgotten plays into some of the solutions that you're delivering today. Wow, great question. Wonderful question and spot on. So the CCPA program, California Consumer Protection Act program, think of your organization that may retain certain PII, you know, personal identifiable information about you. We can think of all these different companies that may have your information just because you registered with those, those stores or establishments online or in person. And so now they have that data, right? So the CCPA program gives the power to the consumer to go back to those organizations and say, hey, listen, I know I transacted with you over a period of time. I would like you to remove me from your database, or I would like you to forget me, or I would like to know what you have on me so I can see it and make a decision whether or not you're allowed to keep it. So you can see the implications are huge. It covers every major corporation across every major vertical. So how does identity verification come into play with with this? Well, now let's look at the organizations that have to respond to this. Well, I just got a call from Jim or Joan, and they came through a portal that I established, right? So these organizations are establishing a CCPA portal. So you'd go to to, to the portal that you, you signed up to get the apparel from or whatever, and there'll be a drop-down box and say, if you want to register for CCPA and be able to get the information that you believe we have about you, click here, right? They put in their first name, their last name, their address, and say, yep, I'm, and here's my email, and I, I, wanna, I want that information. Well, what does the corporation do to try to validate that they have that? These databases are spread throughout the country. They may not be in one centralized location. They may be one database, maybe from another, or even even more challenging, these corporations may have grown through acquisition. So they have disparate databases all over the place. So how do I know that I'm really dealing with Joan or Jim? How do I know that? That's where we come into play. And that's where identity verification, again, really becomes a vital key to making sure that Are you dealing with the person who you think you're dealing with so that you can validate first and foremost, is that really Joan or Jim? Yep, that's them because we can cross-correlate using credit bureau information, using mobile carrier information, using government-issued ID information, that that really is a real person. That's not a persona coming in from the dark web or coming in from a foreign country and, and spoofing themselves through a network to make them look like they're here in the United States. 
right? So, so now we know that that person's really there. We can find out that they're on that cell phone and that cell phone is in their possession and that they're in a geolocation that is exactly where that cell phone is. I mean, there's a lot of things we can triangulate in milliseconds again to say, yep, I'm dealing with that person. Good. So now they check that box. I got that one. All right. So now we know that that's really Jim or Jeff, right? So we got that. So the next thing they need to do is take that information and run it back into their organization and say, does any of this information exist within our database? And we assist them with that as well to include doing what they refer to, and I won't get into too much jargon, but federated identities and and, and federation. How do I, can I federate this information out to find out who else is out there in all these databases? GDPR is the other question you asked, and, and that's how CCPA, we believe, evolved. And you're going to see other states go about the same process. But GDPR is the European side of data governance. And they were really the first to lead into the marketplace, into the, into the world, for that matter, the EU, saying, we have strict rules about how you can deal with privacy of one's information or how you deal with the data of one's person, right? And that's the, that movement has, has been taking place for three or four years. We service that as well overseas with our multinationals, and we're doing the exact same thing that I just described for CCPA. Well, Brian, thank you so much for the time today. Look forward to seeing you in person after we uh, stop social distancing. Thank you. Thank you very much, Matt. Thanks for being here. I'm Matt Swain, and you've been listening to the Reimagining Communications podcast. To learn more about Broadridge, our insights, and our innovations, visit broadridge.com or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn.